Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. Welcome to the Service Academy and also ROTC Scholarship Consulting Podcast. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Rob Kirkland, and I'm joined, as always, uh, with Captain Trish Doc. How are you doing, Trish? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? I'm doing awesome. And today we have a special guest with us. It's uh, Vinny Madera from Test Prep Wizards, and he is with us today in order to talk about the SAT <clears throat> math section. Great to be here. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, my name is Vinny. I'm with Test Prep Wizards. I've been in the test preparation world for going on 15 years now. Um, I specialize in standardized tests, academic tutoring, and uh, we do a lot of consulting for other companies. I also moonlight as a statistics professor at Fairford University. So I really try to bring data analysis and trends to our you know, testing process and helping other companies make sense of their data. Yeah, awesome, Vinny. So I mean, that really you know, allows you to, you know, to really just bring in real world things to what your, with what your help with students is, particularly with the, with the SAT test. We're really thrilled to have you here today. Concentrating on the, particularly on the SAT math score for service academy admissions and ROTC scholarships, there's a heavy weight on the, on the math section. Matter of fact, the, particularly the service academies weight, the math test Hot more than the verbal section of the of the uh, of the test. So if we take a look, say at the service academy, forty percent of their whole candidate score is SAT or ACT super score, with sixty percent of that forty percent being the SAT math or ACT math slash science sections, particularly the ACT math section. So the importance of both the service academy applicant as well as the ROTC applicant to doing well on the SAT math section is extremely important. And and one of the things that Captain Doc and I always emphasize to our candidates is you need to raise that math score. You need to you know study. You need to find. You need to get uh, help uh, and specialized help in order to raise that test score up because. If you can't raise that score, the math score in particular, you're going to have a great difficulty getting that uh, service academy appointment or ROTC scholarship. So it's just something that we've seen over the years, and we just felt like we needed to get some folks like you on this podcast in order to kind of just give them your insight on this. And and so we're just, again, really happy to um, have you here today on the podcast. And so... Sort of the first thing I wanted to kind of ask you is, have you had any academies or ROTC people work with you? And have you ever noticed any difference between those students and the students preparing for norm for in normal civilian institutions? Yeah, I've had some students go to, to West Point, some of the, to the Naval Academy. And I think the thing that sticks out the most about those students is that I feel they're a bit more driven than your average civilian students. You know, you're not going to want to go to one of the academies to kind of like build your discipline, right? You already have that innate ability. So for those students, having that tenacity, having that drive and understanding that this is a cog that's going to help me 
along um, with my application gives them that intrinsic motivation that they need many times to be successful, right? Because with uh, a lot of the civilian students, it may not necessarily be them pushing to do well in the SAT. Sometimes it's a parent or an older sibling or a coach. But, you know, when you have that just innate desire to do well, I think that, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to do well on these tests. Right. And, you know, given a lot of the universities perhaps moving away from the SAT or ACT, you know, the test blind or test optional, test blind in particular out where I live out in you know California with the UCs mm-hmm. or test optional, you know, there's been, you know, Captain Doc and I have been, have seen, you know, that schools, high schools are tending to go away from the SAT or ACT. They're not even offering it in their school anymore. Guidance counselors aren't emphasizing it as much anymore. However, you know, when we look at the service academies and ROTC, they continue to heavily emphasize it. So, you know, the world is sort of moving away some, or the college world is sort of moving away a little bit from the standardized tests, but, you know, the, the academies and ROTC seem to be firmly planted uh, in continuing to heavily emphasize these tests. And I think that's to the credit of the service academies. You know, in a sense, when you pull away standardized test scores, you're pulling away a very valuable metric for students, right? So there's tons of studies that show GPA inflation is a very real phenomenon that's happened a lot more than SAT or ACT inflation. And a lot more nowadays, GPA tends to be something that is a bit more subjective, right? Whether it's, you know, a a class-based or a race-based or a gender-based GPA kind of measurement, right? So test scores take that away, right? So without having an objective measurements, I don't think you can really truly put people or or measure people against each other. So, you know, without that, I don't know what you're going to do when everybody has a high three or 4.0 GPA. A lot of students have taken the same, you know, rigor in terms of classes having an SAT score of 1450 with that level of rigor versus having an SAT score of a 1050, I think says something more about that student with the 1450, even though it is just one Saturday in which they took that test. Yeah, great point. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, a back way back in the turn of the century, actually the, you know, the service academies actually had their own test that they gave. So before the SAT or ACT, <clears throat> place like West Point and the Naval Academy actually had their own you know, exam that they gave to students, you know, that I don't think it was patterned on the SAT, but it, you know, measured their abilities, you know, kind of, and, and the test was standardized nationwide. So they knew, you know, the, the relative, you know, abilities, you know, compared to each other. So, so I think that's that kind of thing that, that, that the academy still want to, to do and to, you know, and, and, and if I think if the SAT or ACT would, would be eliminated, I think that, that, you know, they, that, the academies would come up with something else that was standardized that would try to measure that. So, you know, because mainly because the, you know, the, the service academies and ROTCs are nationwide and they need to be able to differentiate. So, so, so Vinny, I got, so let's go and kind of get, go into kind of your philosophy when it comes to the SAT in general. So I'm interested in kind of just as a general question, you know, for our students that, you know, are looking at the SAT math score, what's your, philosophy on the SAT and improving the SAT math score. Yeah, so I think ironically, for the SAT math section, one of the most important things is your reading ability, 
So right in our manuals, when we do a math introduction, your reading is just as important as your math on the math section. I think the difficulty that a lot of students have is that questions on the current version of the SAT can be pretty convoluted. They do a great job, the College Board writers that is, of giving you a question that seems like something that's different from what you know. So being able to really read and break down a question, problem solving and critical reasoning go a a really long way for students on the SAT. Content also matters. The SAT isn't a bag of tips and tricks. You do have to know content to be successful on it, but everything I think starts with being able to really carefully slow yourself down and not assume that you know what the question's asking you to find because uh, SAT writers, again, do a great job of misdirection, giving you something, and then you kind of find an answer choice, but it's not the full answer choice. So you're going to get an answer wrong, even though you done no math wrong. They asked you to find the value of 3P, you found the value of P, right? So that attention to detail is important in service academies and in you know any real world. It's a great soft skill. And the other thing that um, College Board does really well on the math section is great distractor answer choices something that seems plausible and students will sometimes say, okay, I'm going to take the shortcut and I'm going to fall back on that answer, even though it might be the wrong one. Because math on the SAT, it's the last two things that you do. So you've already done a hundred minutes of reading and writing. And, you know, most students that I come across do not want to read for 65 minutes in a row of generally things that they don't care about. So sometimes that fatigue factor sets in and then students just will make you know, poor decisions that they wouldn't have made if it were the first section that they were doing. And Venny, what advice are you giving to students to overcome the fatigue factor that you just mentioned? That's a great question. So a great analogy is that if you want to like prepare for a marathon, you wouldn't run around the block a couple of times and say, hey, I'm ready. You have to kind of build up to that, you know, 26 miles. So taking full length SATs is a very important step in that process, right? So you want to know how I'm going to do on a math section when you've already been sitting for two and a half hours and you know you still have to do a little bit of work. It's something that you just can't replicate by saying, hey, I'm gonna do a 25 minute no calculator math section just on its own, right? So you do need to train as you fight. The other thing that I think is important is not just falling back on full length tests because we'll have students who will come to us and they'll already have done 10 tests from say the college uh, board blue book but they haven't changed anything in between those tests. So their scores plateau. They're now disheartened by the fact that they haven't seen score increases, even though they've taken, say, 10 tests. You haven't changed anything. Why would you expect something to change? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that goes a long way towards making students feel successful by right? practicing on high quality material under as many time constraints as you actually can. And then supplementing that with whatever is going to improve your score and you know, highest yield fashion. I mean, you, I know, I know when we talked on the phone before this meeting, we talked about sort of the reverse engineering that, you know, where, you know, there's some answers, you know, if you read it quickly, there's some answers that the SAT has reverse engineered where they, you know, where they, they have an answer and they, they figure out, you know, how you might answer it in order to be able to trick you. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that has to be a, you know, a byproduct of any good standardized test, because if there were never any answer choices that a student would go with, or if one answer was always going to be the right answer, you're not learning anything about that student. So you need to be able to differentiate and discriminate between student uh, skill levels. So yeah, like any normal to make mistake generally will appear, which 
is one of the reasons I think a lot of students will take an SAT. They feel like they're crushing it and like, I got a perfect score and then get their scores back. Like, I need to sign up for it again because you're not realizing that you've made those mistakes. Yeah. So, so Vinny, walk us through a success story. So say someone who's came in with like, say a 600 SAT started working with you, sort of go by step by step, what you do with a candidate, you know, and how they got to a really excellent SAT score. So sort of give, give me a walkthrough of kind of a typical student, but your ideal student who's then able to do everything that you tell them to do to get a great score. Can you, can you walk us through uh, a, a student like that? Absolutely. So perfect world. I want a student to come in and take a, a practice test with us first. Uh, by a practice test, I mean a real released SAT, not like a fake marketing test that you know, some companies will, will use. I want to know how you're doing on a real SAT. So we have software that we use that will break down how you did on the SAT on a very granular level. I don't want to know, hey, Rob's doing you know, great on Heart of Algebra, but not so great on you know, Passport to Advanced Math. I want to know what topics on Passport to Advanced Math, aka Algebra 2, and also what difficulty levels those mistakes are coming on. I want to be able to say, hey, we need to work on medium and hard quadratics questions. We don't care about the easy ones, and we don't care about, say, exponentials and exponential functions. Right, so we'll do that. A student will come in, take that test. We analyze results after that, which I think um, you know is a little different from other companies. Is that I want to actually talk to you before we start meeting. Right, so the numbers tell me something, uh, and you know, as a statistics guy, I love me some numbers, but I also need to see how you felt during the test. Right, so. Were you getting fatigued? Were these things that you saw and you kind of recognized them, but you weren't exactly sure what to do? Did you have pacing? Were you jumping around, right? Because the numbers tell a story and you tell a story and the truth is kind of somewhere in between. And that's how we have to build an action plan. So for our students, everything is personalized with them. Math-wise, when a student comes after we've had these consultations, we generally talk about problem solving and critical reasoning. Because I want to get you as many points as I can before we actually sit down and talk about content. I want to put you in the best position to be successful, even if you're not sure how to complete the square to solve a, a circle question or something like that. So we talk critical reasoning, problem solving. We have what we call the uglier problem solving method. And then after that, we'll go over ways that you can improve your scores by you know, recognizing what some might call strategies of the SAT, working backwards, choosing your own numbers if that's something that you needed. And then it's all content after that. It's content that's specific to you and the difficulties that you need. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a very big uh, busy work sort of guy, so I don't want to give you two hours of just like, hey, do these practice sections. I want to give you, hey, do two hours of this work that's going to give you a noticeable impact in your score and make you feel that you're actually learning. The best motivation for students is seeing those scores increase. And so if I can keep helping you get those scores going up, you're going to be more apt to do well and do what I say when maybe those score increases are going to become a little bit harder for you to get because now you're getting 48 of the 58 questions correct instead of 32 of the 58 questions correct. Great. So so when as far as the amount of time, what are we talking about here? Just, what's the ideal amount of time working with a, with a candidate uh, to get them kind of to improve? I know it probably varies amongst your different candidates, but how much time would you like, how much touch, how much time are you, are we talking about here? Six months, a year? What's, what's the most ideal you think time frame to be working with somebody? 
we have ideal and we have reality of where I am. So ideal (laughs) would be getting a student when they're kind of halfway through algebra two and then working until they get their score, um, which may be, you know, a few months. It may be, say, half a year. The reality is that where I am in the Northeast, parents are very reactive. So I will get calls in, say, January after everybody has gone on vacation and come back and say, well, I have to take this March SAT. So our usual average timeline is about eight weeks with the student. So my job is almost always to impact your scores as much as I can in eight weeks. Part of that is also I work with a lot of athletes and recruited athletes tend to also have a little bit of a shorter timeline because most of those students come to me either in their post-grad year or like like the beginning of their senior year. So I have a, a short window to increase things as much as possible, which is where all the data analysis comes or comes into play and where just focusing on high yield content and not saying, hey, here's a syllabus that we're going to go through regardless of what you may need, you know, becomes more effective for us. Vinny, if students are have taken the test and not gotten the score that they want, do you do most of the students that you work with, do they have scores and then they come to you and seek you out or are they proactively seeking you out? Um, we kind of get two different types of students. We At the beginning of, say, now is a perfect example, we're getting more of what we call like the alpha juniors, the, the juniors who are kind of fast-tracked, the juniors who are either going to calculus or, or pre-calculus. Those students right now tend to be a little bit more of the proactive students, right? Their parents might be pushing them to get their you know, test scores done by say December, so they don't need to worry about the changeover of the SAT that's going on in March. And then we have more of the reactive parents who you know, are the ones who will wait and get their PSAT scores back. In Connecticut, we give a state SAT, so they'll take the SAT in March for free. If you're at a public school, they'll get those scores back and then maybe they'll focus on the May or the June SAT and then push that into senior year as well. So that's kind of the, the timeline that we get for most um, most of the families that we work with. And for students who are considering taking the SAT or ACT for the service academies, they're both the same. What do you recommend students consider when they're choosing which uh, test to take? Yeah, so that's a great question as well. The you know I think a lot of it depends on your aptitude and your I guess, passion for math. So ACT has a lot more math content on it. So your high-flying students many times will do well because they've taken more math, right? So where I am, some of the math on the ACT is only tested in pre-calculus. So your average junior who's taking Algebra 2 is not going to have seen that material. The trade-off of that is that on the ACT, there's a lot more geometry. So those students who have been fast-tracked have now maybe not seen geometry for two years, And I don't know many students who are bored and say, I'm going to go back and look at my ninth grade notes, right? So they just don't do that. They lose it. So for those students, many times an ACT tends to be a little bit better. There's a lot of our our high score or like I say high intensity students. Fixed minded is the wrong word, but they like to study. They like to say, here's how I'm going to attack a test. I'm going to treat it like studying for a midterm or a final. Whereas with the SAT, because there's a lot, there's a much less content on it on the math side of things, like almost a half to a third of what you would see on an ACT, you can start a little bit later. You can also focus a bit more on the critical reasoning aspect. So it's not about, hey, can I stuff all of this math into your head? It's can I teach you how to break the questions down 
and almost translate it into a way that makes sense to you. So for those students who are a little bit more, they can view things from different perspectives and vantage points. Sometimes that SAT is a little bit better. Students who like to figure out like puzzles, sometimes the SAT is a little better, but a little bit better for those kids. But your kids who are like, just give me content. I want to motor through it. I like to like memorize like those students. ACTs can be a better test for them. Do you give them some sort of like, if they come to you and they haven't taken either test or they're, you're just not sure, is there a quick way that you can figure out where to point them, either the SAT or the ACT? Yep. So perfect world, we'd have a student take a practice SAT and a practice ACT, and then we would compare those scores and also look at what the goals would be. So I will say that for a lot of our students who have really high aspirations, like over the 95th percentile, we tend to push them towards the ACT just because it's a little bit more, I think, formulaic in terms of how you can attack the test. Whereas with, say, students taking the SAT, the scales at the upper ends are much worse. Right? You can get a couple of questions wrong on an SAT, and because there's less questions, that'll affect you more than it would have on the ACT. So sometimes that can also be the determining factor. You're coming in here and you're saying that you need a 1500. Yeah, that means that we're probably going to take an ACT and shoot for like a 34, right? So you'll see a little bit of a more linear growth pattern on that test. So there's some other things that go into play, like the SAT reading section is like the worst section in for tutoring. It is very hard to improve scores in the short term. And I also like the fact that on ACTs, that English section focuses a lot more on punctuation, grammar, things that are fixable with rules than on the SAT, where you do have to have a little bit more of, you know, a reading bent to do well on that section. Also, you know, give me 75 questions instead of 44. I'd happily make one or two more questions on 75 and, you know, get a, a great score there. So, you know, that does kind of influence which test they should take. I know that there are some places that do like hybrid tests that are part SAT, part ACT. And just in my experience, there's not enough questions for those tests to really be successful. If uh, SAT and ACT could have given you half of a test and gotten the same results, they would have given you half of a test a long time ago. Let's talk about some common test-taking mistakes and how to avoid them for, for students taking the SAT math. Yep. So I think the most common mistake is just purely misreading. It's not understanding what you're asked to find. So you'll find a, a partial answer choice. So it's kind of both a pro and a con because that tends to be an easy thing to improve, but that also tends to be something that students don't really think about if they haven't taken any tests before, if they haven't done any sort of preparation. You know, the other uh, biggest common type of mistake would be execution mistakes is what we call them. It's if you square eight and get 16 instead of 64, if you should have added five to both sides and you subtracted five, those sorts of just either um, fundamental mistakes or kind of like lapses in memory um, tend to be pretty common ones as well. Um, and then after that, a lot of the, the mistakes that students make are kind of half remembering things or not understanding what is or isn't there. For example, on a circle question, thinking that the area is 2 pi r instead of pi r squared, and not knowing that the SAT does give you a few formulas that you can go back and reference, right? So students will say, oh, here's my answer, and then they'll see that answer, although it's, it's wrong. They found the circumference instead of the area. Other things I think that are big mistakes that aren't necessarily execution mistakes are just the approach to the test. So SAT math section has a rough order of difficulty. So the first questions are easier, the later questions are harder. 
And then that order of difficulty resets when they get to the student response questions, the gridded ones. So sometimes students will treat the SAT like it's a school test. They'll start at one and try to get the question 20, whereas the best way for them to attack it might be doing one through 10 because those are medium questions, seeing if you can do something in 11 through 15, but not wasting a ton of time there and getting a couple of those multiple choice questions in. And this version of the test, everything's worth the same. So your job is just get as many questions right as possible, not necessarily getting the question in front of me correct right now. So part of that is just the approach to the test and not knowing just how to really attack it to put themselves in the best position to be successful. We do talk a lot about psychology of the test when we work with students. And, you know, I think you have to have a positive growth mindset for the test. Otherwise, it's going to eat you up. We, we hear how hard the SAT is. We have our parents say, oh, the SAT, that was so tough for me. And then we hear that so often that it becomes that hard for us. And then when we start not doing well, we think that it's because of us. And, you know, it's, it's hard to break out of that. So being positive, being, you know, open-minded going into the test can also be uh, a mistake that students make because they're not. And they think that these scores define me and I can't improve anything when, you know, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah, that's interesting about psycho psychology because I remember taking, you know, the SAT and I remember particularly in the reading sections, but also on the math sections where then you suddenly freeze up and mentally you, 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 you do a brain freeze and you just can't think, uh, you know, because you're just so psyched out because of the test. So I'm really happy that you do kind of work with candidates, you know, who may freeze up or may need some kind of psychological counseling or encouragement is just going in there with a very positive mindset. And then if you're just freeze up or something that can really obviously be detrimental to your scores. Absolutely. You know, we hear a lot of students come to us or a lot of parents tell us that their children are bad test takers. And sure, right? Test anxiety is a diagnosable uh, medical condition. And you know, there's differences on what percent of the population really has test anxiety. But I think so much of that is just the fact that a lot of kids aren't prepared. Right? And so if you take a test and you don't do well on it, but you didn't prepare for it, then, yeah, you're probably not going to do very well on that test. Right? So to, to your point, Rob, when we do have students who do have that kind of like freezing mentality, it's almost like when you have the word on the tip of your tongue and you know that you know, it, but you can't say it. We just have two really simple things to keep students in control. And that's ask themselves two questions. What am I missing or what would I want to know? And then how can I find that from what's given? Right. So we're, we're thinking in terms of questions. It's different executive functioning. If you can't answer either one of those questions, cool, I'm going to move past and do another question. And my subconscious is still going to work on this thing the same way that, you know, when you have that word on the tip of your tongue and you stop thinking about it, it'll pop into your head. You're like, oh, yeah, I was, I was trying to say pickles. Like, how did I not know that? Right. So it's the same sort of idea, like keeping control. You're the one who's in charge, not college board. And the more that you can have that sort of mentality, I think the better you'll do on these tests. Awesome. That's great. You kind of alluded to this, Vinny, earlier, but so the SAT is moving to, in 2024, to the computerized test. <clears throat> the PSAT is beginning their computerized test this fall. What, what, what's happening there and, and how's things going to change for the SAT math taker? Yeah, so I think that to College Board's credit there, they're using technology the way that it should be used, right? So 
you know, with the PSAT, this is going to be students in the United States' first opportunity to see that format of the test. They can do some practice on College Board's Blue Book app, um, which just go to College Board, download the app, and you can take practice tests. Although there's only four digital SATs available right now, so you don't want to use all of those tests. So the change to the, the test is going to, I think, have a couple of benefits for students. For starters, it's going to be shorter. Right? Everybody wants to take a shorter test rather than a longer one if it's going to be equally valid in terms of your scores. The second thing is going to, it's going to be digitally adaptive. So how you do on the first math section will impact which of the other two math sections you get, similar to what GRE does right now. If you don't answer a lot of questions correct in the first section, you get shuffled off to an easier math section, and then your score kind of gets a ceiling, although College Board would never say there's a ceiling to your scores. You've already gotten a lot of questions wrong. You're going to get you know, a maximum of, say, 600 out of 800. If you do really well on section one, then you get shuffled off to the harder section. And again, College Board would never phrase it this way, but there will be a floor in terms of what your score can be. Maybe your floor is like a 550 or something like that. So for students, it'll kind of help in terms of really differentiating between you know scores. Right? So if you didn't do as well, you're going to get questions that are easier the next time around, which is more in line with what you would want to know. Um, if you did well, great. You're going to get harder questions. You can really differentiate between other students who are scoring really well. The other thing that I really, really like, and I know you guys spoke with Tony, and we have a phenomenal uh, calculator course, is that for the new SAT, they're going to uh, implement Desmos on it, which I think is just uh, a no-brainer, phenomenal platform for students because it's free. A lot of students have familiarity with it already from school, and it's something that is not limiting, right? A TI-84 calculator costs a lot of money, and that can you know, price some students out from being able to use it, Desmos is free so long as you have an internet connection. You can practice that wherever you can just hop online. So it's also great because you can solve a lot more questions understanding how to use Desmos. And you can also kind of rule out some of the easier stuff like adding or subtracting fractions. Really simple to do when you just throw it all into Desmos and everything is calculator-based now. No more no calculator section, which helps you know, in terms of the math section, the level of content isn't really changing. They're actually removing some math content. So students don't have to worry about, you know, the random complex number that might pop up on the SAT now. It's not going to appear on this new test. So there's less content, a better avenue to do it on, and less questions. Right? So I think that that's going to, you know, benefit students, maybe not initially, because they're probably going to have to work out the bugs, because it's just been international testing thus far. But I think that eventually it'll be a, a great test that students will gravitate towards. That's great. And uh, is I know there's a there's a calculator app for the ACT math section. Is that the same case? Does that same calculator app work for the preparation for the SAT? Or how does that work as far as the calculator app that you have? Yep. So for us, the so we never made a calculator program for the SAT because even though there's a calculator section, the majority of questions on the SAT calculator section are ones that you probably don't need to use a calculator for. You know, by our kind of estimates, you're looking at like needing a calculator on like six of the 38 questions on the calculator portion. It's still mostly a non-calculator section. The stuff that you can do on the calculator, okay, there's, you can graph that if you really wanted to to find the x-intercepts. But most of the stuff on the SAT, you just, you're better knowing how to do it. Because of the sheer amount of content on the ACT, 
that calculator can make things a bit more efficient, especially when you have that time crunch of the SAT that you don't have so much on the SAT. So we never really built anything for the test, although understanding a calculator can help. But on the digital version, using Desmos, which will replace any sort of calculator app, that'll be the thing that will you know, help students more than using, say, I think, you know, Texas Instruments or a Casio or an HP calculator or something like that. So if you have your ideal of student, when should they start and what advice would you give parents is to be able to support their kids in getting, being successful in the SAT math section? So I think there are two things that a parent should consider. I think the first thing is the level of math that a student has, right? So for the SAT, Algebra 2 and about two-thirds of Algebra 2 is when students have technically seen all of the math that will be on the SAT, other than maybe a random trigonometry question on the unit circle. So knowing when to start is important. And I also think having your student, your child buy-in is also important, right? So we have some kind of hyper-parents who will have us, you know, start to work with a student and the student clearly doesn't care, right? That's a waste of your money. That's a waste of the student's time. You're not going to get a lot of, you know, improvement from that. So understanding the maturity level of the student also is good to work with. Um, So I think those two things are important. And also, you know, there's a lot of information out there on the SATs, ACT standardized testing, and there's a lot of misinformation out there as well. So really being able to get a lot of different viewpoints before you really do make a decision. You know, we, we sadly have a lot of students who think test optional means test blind. And so then they don't even focus on an SAT or an ACT until they realize that it's too late. And, you know, that, that works to the student's detriment. So kind of getting really good information and talking to both sides and not just, you know, hearing the, the anti-test movement or the protest movement, finding what really is true for for your own situation, because it's probably unique. For students who are going to the service academies, though, I mean, test prep is still going to be important, or at least taking tests is still going to be important. So, you know, I think for those parents, really making sure that they're they're starting at the right time, getting a good baseline, and being realistic about time. Was there anything you think that Trish or I either it missed with you that we didn't cover that w- that you think is important here with about the SAT math? You know, I think we covered a, a lot of what's important for the, for the math section. You know, for, for students looking to, you know, do test preparation or take SATs, you know, I think that going into the test and practicing the right way and having the right mindset are the most important things for those students to, to take away from, from everything. Um, you know, there's no reason that a highly motivated student, like many of those applying to the service academies and with the ROTC scholarships, there's nothing that a good test prep professional does that they couldn't do on their own. So it's just having the right mindset, having the right materials, and just being able to practice and study in the right way. Yeah. Well, what I really like about what you do is, you know, you have them take that that test and then you can quickly determine what they need to work on. I think that may be, at least in, you know, when I look back upon my preparation for this test is that I don't think I was ever given any focus. I never really went back focused on truly what I was having issues with. It seemed to be kind of scattershot when you do it in, with a book or things like that. And and I think your ability through your um, company to be able to focus people on what they truly need to work on, I think is really important. Yeah. You know, a lot of things may not seem like there's any connection, 
But, you know, a lot of times if we're not tracking mistakes or even tracking questions that took us a long time to do, we can't really find those connections, right? So just being able to take advantage of, you know, technology and software to help with that approach, I think makes preparation a lot more efficient, right? Because nobody really wants to do test prep. Nobody is asking parents for, you know, more SAT prep for the holidays or something. So it's all about how fast can you improve um, without really, you know, making it become this dreadful, like boogie monster thing that you just have to go to and do. And, you know, that's what, you know, technology helps us with. That's awesome. Yeah, Vinny, that is just awesome. I mean, I've learned so much today. I wish I had you when I was going through the SAT. I could always take it again if you want. All I remember is that the people that I took the SAT, I, I did do an SAT prep thing. And all I remember is the person didn't know what the heck they were doing. That's all I remember. <laughs> they just did, you know, it's like they just was just scattershot and it was maybe I wasn't finding the right person, but it's clear in talking to you that you are giving them the direction and, and that they need. And I certainly think that people that we work with will definitely benefit from your help. So how do they get a hold of you, Vinny, and you know, to try to get some assistance from you on improving the SAT math section? Yeah. So my email is Vinny, V-I-N-N-Y, at testprepwizards.com. Our website is testprepwizards.com. I'm happy to drop my phone number as well. It's, you know, 203-292-0196. They can call, they can text. We're always available to even have a conversation. Right? So I'm not a salesman. So I might talk to somebody and say, you know what? You probably don't want to do any preparation, right? So your scores are, you're not maybe tracking to be somebody who would want to invest money in test prep. You know what you should do, kid? You should have fun. You should find something. You should do a passion project. That's going to be the most beneficial thing for you. Or, you know, saying something like what you really need is to take some practice tests, right? You can stop focusing on, say, five hours a day on Khan Academy or whatever it is. And here's the next thing that you want to do. And, you know, I, I don't charge by the minute. I'm not a lawyer or anything. I'm just happy to give advice that I think might, you know, be beneficial to people and, you know, put some more, you know, positivity into this world. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on and hopefully we'll bring you on here in the near, in the future to maybe talk about how the electronic version of the SAT is going. Thank you. It was my pleasure today. Thank you for having me on and, you know, good luck to anybody listening to this who is looking to go to a service academy. I think, you know, it's a, a phenomenal thing to give back to your country and, you know, service academies are a great way to, to help people do that. Thanks, Vinny. Take care. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gain Service Academy Admission podcast. Connect with us at GainServiceAcademyAdmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.